transitioning to a, a point that uh, you brought up about uh, the game and the, the theme of social links, right? Of um, making you stronger in battle, kind of buttressing a thematic element of the overall game, which is that relationships with other people make you a stronger person. Um, and you talked about self-improvement. And I think that that's all important and it's all in there. Um, and we can talk about that. Um, but before we talk about that, I think I want to talk about the foundation that all that is built upon. Because I think that the reason this game resonated really strongly, uh, I'm going out on a limb here and saying this is one of the, if not the main reason that the game touched so many people was the message of self-acceptance. Any of the characters can start to better themselves, start to move on from past traumas and kind of untangle their feelings and, and clear their, their hearts and minds and eyes and move, move forward into their bright new futures. They have to accept themselves totally. They have to accept rather the worst, the worst parts of themselves or, Maybe not. Maybe that's not even objective. Perhaps the parts of that they consider the worst, the parts that they don't want to show anyone that they're embarrassed mm-hmm. of, are physically manifested in the form of shadows for mm. for everyone except for the main character uh, that you can recruit in your party. Yeah, shadows, by the way, uh, and personas are not things just strictly conjured up for out of thin air they actually exist in jungian psychology by well carl jung um shadows being the repressed part of the self uh the personas being the you know the armor for which the mind wears to deal with day-to-day scenarios they are not things you know made up solely for the game they have been like co-opted for this so basically someone made a <laughs> someone made an rpg about Japanese teenagers fighting, you know, mythological deals. He's based on the works of someone from the 1930s who probably smoked cigars with Sigmund Freud. I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems reasonable. I don't believe you. Video games made this uh, persona, made up persona and shadows, just like Final Fantasy made up Shiva and Ifrit and Odin. It all comes from video games. And hey, hey, I, I know, I agree, right? I mean, every time, <laughs> all every time. All the culture time, of the world. <laughs> Every time someone tells me that Emperor Nero was a guy, I'm like, fuck off, you're wrong. Liar. Chat, <laughs> chatting shit. Don't buy it. The boss battles in in the dungeons until, of course, the final encounters are the main character and the rest of the investigation team that you've recruited up to that point fighting against a shadow of the person who has been kidnapped and thrown inside the TV. That shadow becomes a monster because the person rejects it. 
all with the same line. Yes. Every single time. And I honestly, that I was like, come on, guys, variable. You're not me. And I'm like, oh, God. It's the same line for everyone. But I was thinking about just kind of imagining, trying to put myself in the shoes of that character. And I mean, that's just such, it's, it's a great line, I think. It's this really guttural response to something in front of you claiming to be you and what you are and what animates you. I mean, and it's really, it's, it's not like poking at your brain. It's not being logical. It is attacking you where you are most vulnerable. And it is saying, you are this. We are this. This is how we feel. I feel like just reflexively and voluntarily, you're going to almost vomit up. You're not me. This is not right. You, mm. No, I'm not you. We are different. I am not like this. I, my complaint was more just that it's the exact same verbatim thing every time. Like, come on, guy. I like, I'm not you. Vice versa. Like, let's flip it up a little bit. It just, I don't know, it was, <laughs> it was it, right. it's a that's a mild thing. Shadows are generally speaking um, monsters found in the TV world, which, if you play Persona Four, uh, you'll know is actually the collective human unconsciousness. Yeah, um, which you can somehow access through televisions. Nah, you know. I'm not really sure the mechanics of that, that they actually explained that bit, but but that is the way, yes, in which people with these powers can access this world, this this plane, rather, of existence. In relation to P5, as it happens, I think the reason it's televisions is because it's just the, it's the main method of non-personal communication that we, that is, that was at the time. I mean, P um, P4 came out in two thousand and nine or two thousand eight, so yes. social media wasn't really a thing back then. That's why social media and phones uh, play a much more prominent role in Persona Five uh, for accessing the alternate world. Uh, P3 is an anomaly, and it just kind of happens when everyone's asleep. But then again, P3 had a, a lot of other different things going on. Well, the the shadows were in P3, like still mostly in in our same reality. I feel like if you are trying to make three and four like contiguous, which, I mean, I say trying to, Atlas fucking did it. Like they are in the same universe. Those shadows that came out during the dark hour that already had a relationship to the unconscious, right? Because they emerged during the dark hour. What Minato slash Makoto helped do was to like banish them from the physical plane. And so now they're so powerful that they, they still exist, but just, um, just in that mental realm somehow. That's anyway. That's that's in my head canon anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but the shadows that you fight as bosses are specifically the inner selves, uh, the repressed sides of the characters whom you come to rescue. And the thing about the shadows is initially they take on a human form that looks identical to their, you know, their host, but with golden eyes, so you can tell the pine. Usually with some small or more noticeable uh, physical changes, like. Shadow Yosuke looks exactly like him, and so does Shadow Chie. Then you get to Shadow Yukiko, and she's dressed as a princess outfit, and you're like, okay, yeah. fair enough. And then you get to Kanji, and everything at that point is off the rails, so there you go. <laughs> yes, he's in a loincloth. Yes. Shadow Naoto is wearing, like, a lab coat. Yes, a very big lab coat, because mm-hmm. Naoto's thing is about growing up amongst other things. You know, I'm going to grow into this coat someday. Once... You know, inevitably, the shadows push way too many buttons on their host and keep prodding because they literally have the Konami code of how to, you know, fuck their host's heads over here. They know exactly what to do. Once they get into, you know, 
deny them, they transform into their more monstrous forms. And their more monstrous forms are much more, how do I put it, blatant and uh, on on the nose and very, you know, look at this ways of depicting the neuroses of the individual characters. Yes, a clear manifestation of of those things, of those neuroses, of those problems. They're just like walking metaphors. Their symbolism essentially a uh, very blatant symbolism of the of the problems they face. Symbolism with an HP bar. Yes. You got to fuck up that symbolism. Got to kill it. Um for example, Kanji's is he turns into a giant muscly like almost like golem thing with roses around the collar and he has two arms which are holding uh, the male gender sex symbol, you know, the one pointing upwards. So he uses them as his weapons. <laughs> and, well, you know, when you hold the shaft and all that, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I, like, yeah. honestly, I, you could read a lot into that. Something to note about the shadows in general and also the uh, progression of this game is that, generally speaking, um, the neuroses, the problems that the characters have, the mental crises, the emotional crises they're going through, even the sexual crises they're going through, they tend to get more severe as the game gets goes on and as the bosses get harder. But when I say get harder, I mean that they, you know, you need to level up in order to fight them. Yosuke's uh, problem is jealousy, but it's relatively mild kind of jealousy. It doesn't drive him to, you know, do horrible things. It's just, you know, I hate this place. It sucks, etc., etc. Uh, Chie's, sorry, Chie's was jealousy. I don't know why I said Yosuke's was. I was getting that mixed up. Um, Chie- was he was in your social link? Uh, you find out that he was jealous of you for for a while. That's after. I mean, at the be- very beginning when you first yeah. meet his shadow, it's just more like "fuck this place, I'm done with it." Chie's is jealousy, uh, jealousy of Yuko. Yuko's is you know a sense of being trapped. Then we hit Kanji, and then it takes on a sexual nature, uh, specifically his homosexuality. Assuming that's what Atlas intended, and not what they you know dance around willy nilly. Because committing to that kind of issue is difficult, apparently, for the Japanese. I don't know. We'll talk about this later. Yeah. Uh, but then you see similar things. Uh, Risei's takes on not so much a sexual nature, but rather that's how it's depicted. But hers is more bearing herself to the world, so people will actually pay attention to who she is beyond, you know, the facade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Naoto's is a heady cocktail of a variety of things. And Teddy, don't forget Teddy's, was like... Teddy's is a special Awful case. nihilism. <laughs> Uh, that's cre- creeping existential dread. Teddy's is a special case because I don't think that that's necessarily his shadow speaking, but we'll get to that. That's true because he himself is a shadow or was. By I think I do know who Teddy's shadow actually is being, or rather is sp- who is speaking through his shadow. Uh, it's actually something they adapt in the anime and made more explicit. Do you recall when fighting Shadow Teddy that he had a certain pattern to his eyes when he was mm-hmm. like, fully? So, so you're saying it was a um, a sagiri. It was Amino Sigiri specifically. Okay, okay. Amino Sigiri was puppeteering Teddy's shadow at that, uh, that point. Wouldn't, was... That wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. Yeah, and the dialogue that, you know, he says, like, when Shadow Teddy pops out pretty much matches what Amino Sigiri says later. But Teddy, Teddy's a special case for a variety of reasons. But yeah, generally speaking, the more severe the internal crisis, uh, the more powerful the shadow is when you fight it. Not disregarding balancing issues and the fact that Shadow Yukiko in the original version of the game was a complete cow. Oh my uh, gosh, she was really, really hard. Yeah, like you. Generally speaking, as far as power curves go in games, either you keep them steady or you progressively make them tougher. 
as far as like you know persona 4 originally was concerned like once you started getting stronger the power creep kept came in uh bosses became much easier like shadow kanji is easier than shadow yuko uh shadow teddy is tough from in the original version but not super tough like not shadow yuko level in fact none of them really rise to that point because the personas you have and the abilities you have at that start the starting point of the game are so limited relative to what you have later that you have no flexible options they actually flat out address this in golden by changing the personas you can get that level around so you end up with a persona named valkyrie if you level up the strength arcanus level two Uh, that persona has medea which is the group heal and Bufu, which is the ice spell. Some of the names for these I just love. I'm not really sure what the origin is of... I'm sure that there's something, right? Like, what the naming scheme. Uh, I've not done the research on it, but just Bufu. It's a yeah. great name for a spell. Sounds like a Pokemon name. It, it sure does. Yeah. So you that persona was put in there specifically as the... Maybe you should get this wink-wink to make your life really easy for fighting Shadow Yukiko. Uh, but that, of course, did not exist back in the original game, where you were just basically you had to brute force it, pretty much. That's your either that or you grinded silly, which was not fun or enjoyable. Yeah, I I had to grind to beat Shadow. You could go, yeah, it wasn't super fun. It was, and even after grinding for a while, it was still a tough fight. That being said, though, I like the idea that the boss progression is tied into you know the issues of the characters, mm-hmm. you, and it's not some like weird jumble. So that's nice. Just getting back to um, what I was saying earlier. Once you are, and your your friends defeat defeat the boss, um, the monster form of the boss, you don't ever kill it, right? Um, it's still it kind of shrinks back down to its human form once you've exhausted it. It's notably like silent, usually kind of waiting for its host to speak in order to fully make it non-hostile, right? forever i the character has to accept the shadow meaning no it's not like i said before we're not separate like the these characteristics are parts of me these things that that i am embarrassed about that cause me shame cause me pain uh are part of me and to become better person and to move forward and to live a, a full life i i should accept myself and the character accepts their shadow into themselves and the shadow then becomes their persona through which they can uh becomes their armor as you said through and, and they can fight then shadow the other shadows in the tv world and i think there's just something really special about this about every every boss encounter like the the kind of the begin the real beginning of your relationship with most of the characters starts off with you kind of you see them in a in a vulnerable place and then you see the game telling you the player they're okay it's okay it's okay to be imperfect being flawed is part of being human each of these characters accepts the, the worst parts of themselves. And the game is just, I think, communicating this wonderful message to you, the player. It took my breath away the first time that I, you know, came to understand that. I don't think it ever really had been communicated to me any like before that, yeah, it's okay to, you know, accept and then grow from the fact that you do have problems and, you know, deficiencies and aspects of your personality that you're not proud of. 
it's quite a powerful message. And I think for people that that grew up and played the game when they were teenagers, I mean, I can't imagine the kind of comfort in those formative years of your life when you are struggling to accept yourself and becoming fixated, I think, on a lot of problems or perceived problems that you have. Mm. Like to to have this this game, this thing that you love, come out and tell you accepting yourself is is good. It's just incredible. I, I think it's incredible. Even though I played it in my late 20s, or, yeah, I'm sorry, early 30s even, I was still, I mean, this is still, I think, a super important message. Uh, self-acceptance yeah. is the foundation to really making positive changes for yourself in your life. Like I think that that's so huge, and I truly do think that is a huge part of why the game hit home with so many people. I mean, so many of the scenes that I'll remember from this game are those scenes when the characters realize that their flaws are part of who they are and that denying them is not the answer. And then they gently accept those parts of themselves and are around a supportive group of people. Man, I mean, that's just that's just amazing stuff. It 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 hit me. It hit me hard uh, when I played, and I will remember it for a long time. There are two things I want to actually bring up. That I, these are good things, by the way. These are pitfalls that I'm so very glad that the whole of Persona P3 onwards has avoided. Um, and I, since we're talking about P4 first, I need to bring them up now. Uh, first off, getting a Persona is not the end game for your self-development as far as the series contends. It's the beginning it's the yes. starting point. And that is so vitally important. It could be so easy and so, you know, amateurish for the writers to simply say, oh, this character's got a persona now and all their problems are solved. Not so. I mean, I can speak personally for tons of issues I've got, I had that and still have, that I'm still working through, even though I've, you know, got to know that they exist and I've, you know, challenged them and confronted them. It's not an overnight thing. It's not something that just happens um, in one go. And therefore, you know, it's just there and done. And that ties into my second point, which is that thank God that you do have social links with characters who do not have personas. Because what a thing you would be to say, like, you have to go through this almost like cult-like cleansing ritual. <laughs> oh, man. Um, in order to actually advance as a character, as a person. But no, um, there are people outside of, you know, the team who have very real issues and problems. And... They don't, of course, get involved in the actual investigation team stuff in any way, which, while I complained before about the romance thing being separate, I thought that that might have benefited from, you know, getting involved a little bit, bridging those two worlds. Here, I'm perfectly okay with it because it tells us, okay, it, the game basically admits, all right, personas aren't real. That's fine. We get that. But the stuff that these people are going through that aren't involved in, you know, the TV world, you know, murder mystery bullshit that is real that people do have this happen to them and they don't need to be chucked in a tv to challenge themselves and you know overcome their problems they can just do it simply by dare they dare i say it talking to someone and that is vitally important to remember and i'm glad that the games take time to do that because persona 3 in its original form had no social links that involved any of the actual c team mm. which is a mistake in my opinion, mm -hmm. because the Seas team were all really engaging characters, and I wanted to know more about them, and I certainly did not give one shit about that 
fucking pill at Kenji. Give me Junpei any day, and thank God for the portable version that did allow me to do that. You could... No, you had social links with the female members of the Seas team. Yeah, but not until much later on. They were not things that you started early on, and you could only really do them once you'd broken certain personal um, skill thresholds. Yeah, so I don't really count them in the same vein because they're not things that happen as the plot goes. I mean, I did say that stuff was compartmentalized, but there is a little bit of bleed over here and there. So I think that P4 strikes that balance that works really well, and that was then replicated for P5, where it's also quite strong, and also for Persona 3 Portable, where they corrected most of the deficiencies of the original P3 narrative as far as character growth goes, with one or two exceptions. Ken, why? Why?